Hello and welcome to the Political Party Podcast. This episode features Darren Grimes. Darren set up the Believe campaign during the 2016 EU referendum, for which part of which he was uh, going to be fined £20,000 by the Electoral Commission. Uh, that decision was later appealed uh, and overturned in a court. Now, you may well have heard part or indeed uh, a lot of that story. I guarantee you won't have heard some of the things that Darren uh, mentions on this podcast uh, about not just that, but about so many other things. Um, this was, I think it's, I'm right in saying, one of the longest episodes we've um recorder but do not let that put you off this absolutely flew by and there's so much of it all of it I just was completely riveted by from start to finish he's a fascinating bloke um so enjoy it you can email the show don't forget politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com and uh thank you for all your lovely messages about Brexit pursued by a bear I'm delighted that I'm going to be doing some London dates on the 6th of October at the Purcell Rooms at the South Bank Centre and on the 12th of October at King's Place in North London tickets are on sale now you can get them from mattford.com slash live I will now leave you in the hands of Darren Grimes I'm delighted today to be joined by Darren Grimes, former deputy editor of Brexit Central and now digital manager at the Institute for Economic Affairs. Darren, welcome to the show. Cheers for having us. It's a pleasure to have you here. I mean, when you think about the modern political world and how rapidly things have changed in the last three or four years, you are one of the most prominent new voices in the political sphere. Um, you're sort of uh, grimacing <laughs> slightly shyly there. I mean, uh, is that how you think of yourself? Do you no, re- not at all. Not at all. Really? Uh, yeah, quite the opposite. I, I'm not sure your average Joe on the street um, would give a, the slightest damn what a 26-year-old <laughs> thinks about politics. Um, but apparently some people like us, so that's something. Yeah, well, I, I mean, obviously I consume a lot of political telly, radio and everything else. And you've been everywhere for the last few years. I mean, it, just in terms of the change in your life, of, of becoming a prominent TV, I suppose, personality, is, is that something you think about or are no, you just getting on with it? D- definitely not. It was a complete freak accident. I, I wasn't brought up in a political household apart from my mum screaming at Channel 4 News. Um, <laughs> my mum's to the right of Attila the Hun. Right. Um, but, uh, and bizarrely, like to watch Channel 4 News. Um, but And despite being brought up on Channel 4 News, I am not a communist, so that's something <laughs> as well. But I remember, you know, growing up, all, all she would do would sc- be screaming at the television and my uncle, I think, started to vote um, UKIP and that was my first, I think, political memory where I thought, oh, he's voting for a nasty party because I used to be a Liberal Democrat, believe it or not. Oh, here we yeah. go. Um, so I, but I, I wasn't remotely political until same-sex marriage. Um, so for me, this has not been planned. No, I have not got done the sort of eaten PPE trajectory, <laughs> yeah. if that's what you're asking. No. Well, it was more that um, you, that you quite clearly haven't. And therefore, I mean, even if you have done the eaten PPE trajectory, to, to go from being someone that, that wasn't on telly two or three years ago to all of a sudden getting on telly a lot and, and doing a lot of commentary, I just wondered if you ever... Go bloody hell! This is uh, yeah. This no, I do. I definitely do. Um, and I, I think a, a really good example for me was when I needed to crowdfund a significant sum of cash for my legal case against the electoral commission, and that received almost a hundred thousand pounds. And the fact that 
you know people cared enough and and were sympathetic enough to me and I had a enough of a platform that I'm I'll be eternally grateful for to to everyone who donated an average donation of 30 quid wow. about 3000 people um and that that to me is amazing and I I really did have to pinch myself and think how fortunate I was um and I guess that's one of the many benefits of social media despite its many failings as well yes yes it was it was a great help to you particularly at that time so let's just let's just start at what point would you say you were a liberal democrat how old so i joined the lib dems um when i was 20 19 20 okay so sort of five or six years exactly And that was a re- because because of same-sex marriage yes. in, in the coalition. I thought, oh, I quite like Cameron, but I kind of joined the Tories because they're nasty. So even though your mum is to the right of... Mm-hmm. A, a, a yeah, but you always rebel against your, your, your mum or your dad's politics. Dad wasn't there, but your mum's politics. Because, well, it's just a natural grown-up thing, isn't it? The rebellion. And, and so I thought, oh, well, she thinks that, so I have to be a liberal. I must be a liberal. And actually, to a certain extent, I think I'm more liberal than the Lib Dems, if I'm honest with you. But... Um, I, I, yeah, it was that natural sort of rebellion. And then actually, as I, I got a bit older, I thought, oh, God, I, I don't agree with the single word that's coming out of these people's mouths. See, that's really interesting that you said that, because I grew up in a single parent family as well, um, on benefits in the East Midlands in Nottingham. So I imagine we had fairly similar upbringings. Mm-hmm. Um, and mum, we watched Channel 4 News. Um, but my mum was Labour. Yeah. And I didn't rebel against that. Ah. And I wonder if, and I'm a Remainer, mm-hmm. and you're a Lever, I wonder if there is something... In the personality type of people who want to leave as opposed to people who want to remain, maybe I am just, maybe I just follow authority a bit more. And maybe you are a natural rebel and you rebelled against your mum and you rebelled against the, the order of the EU. Well, I think so. But I'd like to clarify that I do follow authority when it matters to the law, which is one of the, <laughs> which is one of the things that often said about me. But I think that's probably true. I think the Leave vote was the biggest revolution in British politics for many, many years. Um, up and down this country, people were told that, people with not a lot in life, were told that they would be poorer. And people turned around to them and said, poorer? I've got now to begin with, man. What are you talking about? And, and thought more about these existential things like sovereignty, freedom, liberty, what Britain represents around the world. Um, so I think it, you're probably right. There probably is a bit of a, a rebellious streak to me and, and to to Brexit. I wonder then whether, and I have no evidence for this, so if anyone listening knows of any study that, that would maybe prove or even suggest, or dis, indeed disprove it, but I always thought with UKIP and with um, anything that wasn't part of the established parties, anything that wasn't Labour, Lib Dem or Tory, and, and I don't include the SNP in that, obviously that's different in Scotland, but I always thought with UKIP it was more, not that they were, they were basically Tories who kind of maybe didn't like the Tory party or didn't get on in the Tory party. And it was, UKIP itself was an act of rebellion on the right. They were broadly Thatcherites anyway. They were Eurosceptic. They were small state. There wasn't much that the Tories in general stood for that they didn't stand for. And it was a kind of rebellion. And I wonder if a, a rebellious nature is crucial to understanding Brexit, whether it's about people who, and not necessarily whether it's a British rebellion, but whether there is just a, a, a certain amount of people in a country that will say... Mm-hmm. I don't like being told what to do. Mm. And even if, uh, you know, I, I, and I suppose that what I'm trying to get to is if the argument was put in a different way with those people who voted Remain, 
If they didn't perceive they were being told to do something, if they didn't perceive that the tone was, you dare do this and you're going to be worse off. Potentially. I, I think the Project Fear campaign massively backfired on, on for the Remain camp. But this we do have a proud island mentality, right? This sort of... We are really, really proud and, and, and quite fierce about defending our sovereignty and independence. So when you turn around and, I don't know, I think the one highlight for me was when... Um, I had text messages after they'd from my family when they'd flown President Obama in and had him say, "You'll be in. You'll be at the back of the queue." Well, they they would always say, "You'll be at the back of the line." So yeah. he'd clearly been given his lines, so to speak. Um, and I was getting text messages saying, "Who does he think he is, like, telling yeah. telling us what we can and cannot do?" And it's this. It feeds into that sort of people just feeling that they've got no one. They've got no purchase in society. Two, they've got no voice anymore because political correctness has gone mad. And three, they just feel that there is an out-of-touch political class that just does not and will not listen to them. And actually, I'm afraid to say, I don't think the last three years have given them any reason to change their minds. So I agree with so much of that. When Obama said that, I, I, uh, even as a staunch Remainer, I, I, I thought that I was offended by it let alone worrying about the political implications of how other people were going to feel. Uh, and obviously, as with the uh, Cameron interview that was on telly this week, you can revisit the uh, the failings of the Remain campaign, of which there were many. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree with so many of those things about people feeling detached from, uh, from the political establishment, however you would define it. Uh, London's relationship with England, England's relationship with the UK, London's relationship with the UK, let alone before you get onto Brussels and everything else, globalisation, all that stuff. I get all that. I just never, when I thought about the street that I grew up on, thought that leaving the European would, the European Union would solve those problems. Mm-hmm. And I still don't think it will. So despite all the stuff, and I suppose, I don't know how you feel about, you know, coming from a working class northern background, mm-hmm. when you talk about a detached political elite, when you see... Boris Johnson, does he speak to you and your people? Do you know what? Um, I So I had a bit of a shock in 2016. Um, the Vote Leave campaign asked me to introduce Boris in Newcastle. Um, and I, I did that. And it was a room, it was at the Life Centre, so it, it's quite a, oh, yeah. a big room. Very big. Um, and uh, it was packed out. And I thought, oh, what's going to happen here? Um, and at the end of it, you know, I, I introduced him, I said my bit. I'd never done anything like that before, so I was absolutely crapping myself. <laughs> um, and did it, he did his bit, He and then I thought, right, what's going to happen, what's going to happen? And everyone's, everyone in the room stood up and gave him a standing ovation, and I thought, bloody hell. And what was the audience? It was like a leave Okay, so they were they were pro leave exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they were, but still, to pack up, pack out a room for an old Etonian to pack out a room like that as a Tory um, in Newcastle, which actually did vote Remain as well. for me was was quite a sight to behold and I think it was extra special because there were a few members like my little brother was there and it was the first time he'd seen us do anything political wow. um, but also the first time that he'd been exposed to um, the Conservative Party um, <laughs> like it's of, radiation yeah, well, I hope he was wearing safety goggles it, but it basically is in the North East right my, yeah. my granddad was a miner and a, a trade unionist he voted Labour all his life my, my entire family used to vote Labour until about 2010 then they started voting UKIP um, and you know, Labour has just always been in my life. It's just always been there. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating... Because the thing is, I, I think when people 
And I was asking the question, kind of knowing what the answer was going to be. Because when people, and I, f- I found it with David Cameron, when, when Labour started attacking Cameron on his background, I thought, you don't understand where most people are in terms of why and how they vote and people's lives and what they look for in a leader. And I absolutely understand how Rees Mogg and Boris can appeal to the most impoverished part of any part of this country. Because I've, I mean, quite apart from the logic of it, I know people who um, used to tell me that Tony Blair was too right wing for them, who are now saying Jacob Rees Mogg is the sort of their icon, <laughs> who are on the left, mm-hmm. who voted Labour their whole life, who said, I can't vote Labour while Blair's in, and they're now saying, well, Jacob Rees Mogg's the only one talking mm-hmm. any sense. So this whole thing, actually, I don't think. I think Brexit is one of those things that's kind of just exposed oh, and maybe absolutely. clarified Completely. where people's minds were. Yeah. It, 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 and it, 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 in a way, it's the illusion of chaos. I mean, it definitely is chaotic. But it is also that actually those things were always there and it, and it just kind of shone a light and maybe amplified and, and, and prioritised these thoughts in people's minds. I think the referendum sped up the political alignment by a factor of about 10, but it was always going to happen. You know, this was always coming. And I think it's the, the reason why... People like Jacob Rees-Mogg and Boris are are so popular with with communities like that is because it's that perceived authenticity, whether or not you agree that it is authentic or not. Because people for a long time have been, I think, so fed up and disillusioned with the identical PPE politician. And I think I, you, you might grimace when I say this, but I think actually Blair has a lot to answer for that. Because I think New Labour was the most polished, slick, and in my view repulsive um, oh no I do think that I do think that and you know that Mandelson sort of we're going to manufacture everything we're going to make sure nothing is authentic and everything is is polished and and I miss that sort of you know I can watch videos of people like Peter Shaw of Barbara Castle of Michael Foote yeah. and feel a genuine connection with them even though I think they are socialist nutcases <laughs> you know I can genuinely feel an, an affinity to them um, in a way in which I really, really can it. With but would New you Labour. have voted for them? No. Would you have voted for maybe Blair, I, maybe mm, no, definitely not. But maybe I would have voted for the old Labour Party if I was born in their day, yeah. um, because well, my entire family did, right? I mean, I get, I get the certainly the kind of post New Labour managerial um, exactly. mess. I mean, I suppose. I have mixed feelings about it because I've, I, I kind of agree with a lot of what you're saying. It's hard not to see how the, a kind of breakdown has happened as a result of the way that I think New Labour towards the end was talking to people. Um, but that was born out of 18 years of chaos where the Labour Party mm-hmm. was an unmanageable rabble riven by all mm-hmm. sorts of different factions and was behaving in a way that was repellent to the public and had to professionalise in order to win mm-hmm. and did win three elections. So it kind of it, it worked. And I think in Tony Blair, people really did identify with him. Probably the the last prime minister that people really felt an emotional connection with. I don't think people felt the same way about Gordon Brown, Theresa May, David Cameron, or even Boris. Like there was a there was a direct connection between the public and Blair for a period. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, it was just that he was really good at it. <laughs> Very few other people. But do you think that was more born out of desperation? People genuinely felt desperate at that point because they, they just before that you'd had things like the cash for question scandal yeah. and the sleaze and the sex and the money and and people were actually desperate for maybe that's where the the professional politics came from because people were absolutely sick of them getting it wrong and they just wanted people to be a bit more professional. I think there's a bit of that. I think people wanted that definitely from Labour. I think. The, what New Labour really hit upon is, is where I think most British people are, which is that they want the NHS to be looked after. Mm-hmm. 
they really care about inequality. They want people to have a decent start in life. But equally, they don't want that to be at the cost of ambition. Yeah. And I think New Labour was in the bullseye or the treble 20 of the dartboard where it absolutely got all those things. And it had a, a very impressive leader. And also, to be fair, despite the fact that it was slick, you still have people like John Prescott who would speak his mind, Claire Short. I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was never expelled from the Labour Party despite rebelling against it half a thousand times. So as I get the kind of managerial thing. There was also more to Labour than just that. There, there was a kind of broader offer that was part of the reason it was so popular was that people could say in Islington, well, Corbyn's still my local MP. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so uh, just to just to get back to, yeah. to, to so you're a Lib Dem at, around sort of twenty twenty one. I mean, do you feel that your values have changed at all, or is it that politics has kind of no, changed? No, I think I've it? always been on the right. I think I've always um, and and always been socially liberal, um, but fiscally conservative. I think is is what I'd say. I, mainly because if I go back to things, memories where I can pinpoint where my politics were formed it would it with things like my mum telling me the proudest moment of her life was when she bought a ex council house under right to buy yeah. um and she because that and I can pinpoint and I mean I think obviously I didn't recognize this at the time but I can think back and her behavior changed um everything because she had a an asset to look after an asset to pass on to her, her kids yes. an asset that meant she had security uh, financially and that was a really important moment for me. And then I started to look into Maggie Thatcher, who's probably my favourite politician. Please don't grimace again. Now. No, um, I haven't grimaced at all in this interview. Favourite politician um, of of history, of, of British history, um, and means a lot. But looking back as well, my, so my mum was, a as a single parent, was a recipient of child tax credits um, and, and would, her salary would be topped up because she, she worked for the biggest college group in the country um, and she was still being paid well peanuts basically yeah. and as a single parent that's quite difficult obviously with three kids and um, I can remember seeing that she was being obviously again I stress that I didn't know this at the time but looking back when she was making about six grand, that's when the, she would start to be taxed on her income. But then she would get it back in benefits. And I couldn't understand this. It's like you're beholden to the state. And it's that sort of that. Again, I could, probably that goes back to the rebellion theme. Right. I couldn't understand why she she had to be sort of chained to this this almighty oppressor that was saying to her, we are your kind and benevolent masters and we're going to give you your money back, even though you, you make a pittance and and you've given us it. Uh, it just did not make sense to me. And that's why I properly welcomed the the welfare reforms, because I know for a fact that people in this country do not. I agree with you completely that people just want aspiration, but they also want fairness and equality. Equality of opportunity, though, is what I think it is, because people just want jobs. People just want decent livelihoods. And my mum didn't want benefits. She just wanted to keep more of our own money. And that's why I think the income tax threshold raising that was one of the best things that the past government, Cameron's government, did. So you you, you start off as a, a a kind of sort of liberal Tory, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then Brexit comes. Uh, 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 yes. Are there any other incremental fence posts on this pre-Brexit political life of yours? So I yeah, as a Lib Dem, I was arguing for devolution as close to the individual as possible because I think empowering communities again like that where I'm from, which is County Durham, in case anyone doesn't know, I talk about it every two minutes, um, and I think empowering communities like that by 
giving them more say, more power over the things that happen to them. That's quite important to me. Local decision making. I think the Ben Houch and what he's done as mayor of Tees Valley has been fantastic, and you can start to see real rewards being returned to the people in Tees Valley, and actually, people are quite excited and galvanised by that. That's the sort of thing I think is important. So anyway, when I started to think about the referendum, I started to realise because I worked for Norman Lamb's leadership campaign. Who I still so you were love. an active Lib Dem. Yeah, yeah, I was. Remember you going to conferences and branch exactly, meetings and all yeah, this sort of Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm still a big fan of Norman. He's yeah. an absolute hero. Um, and, and, and we should say Norman Lamb, particularly, uh, you know, a prominent mental health campaign. And that's really ca- been his thing. Exactly, and quite good on Brexit as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, his leadership campaign was fantastic and I loved doing it. So I was really sad, but I just thought I can't square the fact that I want to devolve power as close to the individual as possible, whilst the Liberal Democrats want to hand more and more power away to what I view as a remote and unaccountable institution in Brussels. That I couldn't square that. I couldn't square the two things. So I left shortly after Norman lost because I thought, well... Tim Farron's not a liberal, in my opinion. He's a social democrat. Yeah, and I imagine there are other opinions Tim Farron had that might have been. There, there were, but I, I'm actually I'm a Christian, so I, I have a certain element of, amount of sympathy with him on those positions. I think you should be well, able forgiveness to... is an important part. Of I, well, quite. Um, but yeah, so there we are. That's the roundabout way of me telling you that I realised I wasn't a Lib Dem all along. So when you, when you joined the Lib Dems, was your mum like, "Oh, Darren, man"? She she just said, "Were well, you joining them communists for?" I think she said something quite colourful about Nick Clegg. What did she say? Oh, I can't repeat that on this podcast. Oh, you can if you like. We're not the BBC. I think. She, why are you joining that bastard fool, man? <laughs> <laughs> and what didn't she like about Nick oh, Clegg? That was around about the time he was. Wasn't it 2014 when he started arguing with Farage? When he started doing those TV yes, debates. the TV debates. Yes. She, she'd obviously seen him arguing that. Oh, there's not going to be an EU army, and she went, "There will be. There will be. You mark my words, pet. There will be. Um, if these bastards get their way." Um, and lo and behold, she's probably proved right. There is no sounder woman in, in British politics, I think, than Jackie. Um, <laughs> How does she feel when she sees you on telly and she, she messages, hobnobbing with these people? Um, so she came down. I, I was baptised and confirmed last year. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Um, so you, are you a born-again Christian? Mm-hmm, yeah. And what, uh, what was it that made you discover the, faith? The fight with the Electoral Commission, I think. Really? Yeah, yeah I started going to church doing that wow um and had you previously had any no nothing pr- at all my mum was brought up uh, she was taught rather by sisters and she it was quite a strict um school and she had such a visceral reaction <laughs> to that that she she gets so angry and when you hear her speak about it i'm making my mother sound like the most angry woman in britain she's really not she's she's a very considered woman who's been through a lot but she she um she she will always come out with that line, that trope of religion is the root of all evil. You know, when I, whenever I'd mention it, she'd go, don't be silly, pet. Forget about it. That's pie in the sky, pixie in the sky. You don't believe in that, man. Give hour. And that'd be it. And I said, well, I do actually, ma'am. And I said, I'd love it if you came down to London. She hates London. She hates London. Um, and she anyway, she came down and she says, uh, she went, oh, pet. I said, what? She went, it's been so lovely to see that you've got people, you've actually got friends here. 
I said, she what never do, had any what black do you eye? mean? <laughs> she, she thought... Well, she thought that London is such a selfish, uh, individualistic, isolating place where there's no community. You cannot possibly have friends. Everyone's yeah. stabbing each other in the back or quite literally stabbing each other. Um, and it's rife with terrorism. And she had a lovely time. And she got to see all of these people that I either work with or my friends. And she went, you're doing really, really well. And she started to cry. And she was oh, like, I hope you know how proud I am of you. And you know, how much you've achieved and you've done it all yourself. You've not had any help or encouragement in, in doing it. Um, and I think to a to a wider extent, so I went back home after I'd won my case against the Electoral Commission straight away, actually. It felt quite important to do that because I couldn't speak to my mum about it. I, I don't know if you want me to stop it when we go on to this oh, a yeah, bit well, later. Well, by all means, we can talk about it now. Yeah. Um, so I... Um, the first thing that happened was I, I said to my mum, I'm not going to speak to you about this, which was incredibly hard because I'm so close to my mum. Because I, whenever I'd tell her stuff about it, it would just worry her because she, yes, she yes. said, I'm going to sell the council at my ex-council house uh, to pay your legal costs um, and I'll be there no matter what. And she'd get so worried sick and she'd read comments online and the venom and vitriol and she would just get herself in a real panic and she'd call me in floods of tears saying... You know, I don't know what to do. You're 300 and odd miles away. Um, you, you, you know, you're, you'll always be my baby and I, I don't know I, I don't know what I can do. So in the end, I just stopped telling her about it yeah. cause, uh, to stop panicking her. But when I went back after I'd won, I, um, I walked into my nana's house and... Um, she, my nana always gave us a big hug and then, but my uncle was sat in the corner and he was just in floods of tears. And I said, I've never seen him get emotional before. And I says, well, what are you doing, man? You daft bugger. And he says, I- I'm just so proud of you for, for standing up for for community, like for this area, for, for people that voted leave and for, you know, what, what this actually represents because it's, it's bigger than you, you know. And I said, um, do you reckon? He went, uh-huh. And I thought, and it actually, it really, it took us back a bit because I, to be honest with you, my family aren't that bothered about what's reported in Westminster because they're normal people that work nine to five and get on with it. Um, and so I didn't know that they, they cared to that extent. And that was quite a, I think, a, not an alarming, but it was a real a well, moment. Didn't know they cared about you or didn't know they cared about uh, not, the cause? No, I know they cared about me, but I didn't know that they were following it to such an extent um, and and aligned my my core case and my challenge and my struggle with, with a wider concern on how they feel that they're viewed by the political class. You know, that they felt that they, this this victory in court wasn't just a victory for me but it was also a victory for them yes um and and that, that probably sounds a bit grandiose and verbose but no i can totally see how they would feel like that and mm. i can't imagine how a, a parent would feel seeing a, 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 a relatively young offspring go from no one knows who this guy is and then all of a sudden he's been found guilty and now he's involved mm-hmm. in this huge court case which seems to go to the heart of the biggest political decision mm-hmm. this country's taken since the Second World War. Mm-hmm. So I can totally understand. And anyway, given how people feel about Brexit, I fully understand why people would feel like that. Um, so just in terms of finding faith in that process, mm-hmm. was it a friend that said, oh, you should come to church? Yeah, um, I started following a guy called Marcus Walker of St. Bartholomew's, which is in Clerkenwell. It's a beautiful church, oldest excellent church in London. And um, he's a Tory and tweets. A, I followed him because he tweets sound things on politics, basically, and Brexit. And then um, my friend said, oh, I'm 
really good friends with him. Why don't you? It's his first service at this at this church. Why don't you come along? Um, so I went along to this Ash Wednesday service, and it was round about the time that the so-called whistleblowers had come out, which have now been discredited in a court of law. But they 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 had come out, and Channel Four News were doing hit job after hit job on a daily basis on me, um, and I was in a really really dark place. And I went along to this service. And it was an Ash Wednesday service. Yeah. I'm doing the sign of the cross. Sorry. <laughs> I know, but you do get the Ash Wednesday. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and uh, uh, I can remember I did the service and I thought, wow, this is so beautiful. And I'd never experienced anything like it. Um, it's a really high church, bells and smells, yeah. etc. And I, I just felt really grounded and, and really like, this is going to sound really cringe, but safe and rooted in something in a way in which I I don't think I I did at that time because everything was up in the end so volatile. My life was up in the end volatile. Um, and I, I left and I thought, do you know what? I don't actually want to take this off my forehead. I know that's mad. Um, but yeah, I just felt like I had a real connection with, with the church, with the service, with the, the priest. And you know, he's one of my closest friends and and spiritual directors now. I would say a spiritual um, director. Mm-hmm, yeah. Is that a, a, that's a phrase I haven't heard before? Yeah, when you so when you're baptized and confirmed, you have to have confirmation classes. So yeah. he is your your director in all things. Because I, yeah. I did my confirmation, you know, at the age that you usually at school age, yeah. really. I've yeah. sort of since um, drifted away from it, but <laughs> I have a lot of respect for it. Um, mm. Uh, and my mum was a nun before she had me, so I've kind of grown up in a kind of Christian household. But I, I suppose it's one thing, because churches are amazing places, and Bells and Smells is absolutely... They smell fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're comforting. The music is uplifting, sometimes. Mm-hmm. But they, the incense smells nice. The, the wood, the stone, everything is designed to make you feel mm-hmm. this is profound. Yeah. It's one thing to go, oh, this is a nice space and place. And I mm-hmm. feel at a time of emotional hardship yeah. that, thank God I'm in this sanctuary, to then maybe changing your view on whether, you know, there's an almighty creator mm. or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, I'm not going to lie, it, it took a little while and I did have shakes on the way. And But I, I you know, I, I, I feel genuinely quite rooted in, and, you know, I can now find solace in psalms and things like that which I never ever had you said this to me two or three years ago I would have been like Matt you're talking out your arse that's never going to happen oh I still talk out my arse <laughs> um, but actually I think it's one you're, so your political hero I, I think Tony Blair I thought it's actually quite sad that he waited until he left office to be like do you know what actually I do believe in God and sod off if you don't like that and I, I think it's that it's really sad that politics and politicians feel that they can't they can't say they're religious for fear of people thinking, well, that means they're going to be anti-gay, anti-abortion, or whatever. I think that's a real. My my concern is that for my generation, moving away from from faith or, or a belief system, has meant that people are are longing to believe in something, are longing to believe in something bigger than themselves, and I think that's why people are are have a sort of almost religious love of the environmental movement and things like that. I think that they're, they're, they're looking for something bigger than themselves and people feel a bit lost. And I, I don't think it's it's just rhetoric to describe my generation as the lost generation, you know, where you can order a takeaway on your phone as quick as you can sex. I think there's a, there's something really missing from the lives of, of my generation. And I think there will be a, a sort of 
collapse and crisis of of confidence. So, in terms of your 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 faith, are you are you an Old Testament guy? Are you a no. New Testament guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not, no. Whenever they read out the Old Testament in church, we all, sometimes there's the odd word where my friend will look over and glance in. I shouldn't really be honest about this. <laughs> be the odd priest listening to it. But the, my friend will look over and be like, and snigger. And you, you get that now and again. But, I, you know, it, it's the it's all related. It's all relative. And, yeah. And is there a, you know, is there a way you can apply your faith to Brexit? You know, would, would Jesus um, have been a lever? I... <laughs> I, I think Jesus would have been non-partisan. Um, <laughs> Jesus could have been the Speaker of the House of Commons. Um, no, I, I think actually uh, there is a way in which I can apply faith to politics in the sense of I had to go through three years of hell and the the last year of, of, of my life has been the most... I wouldn't say it's been the most intense because without getting the tiniest violin in the world out, I went through a pretty horrendous time at school. Um, so I, I, it, I don't actually think, the, bizarrely, the Electoral Commission struggle has been the hardest period of my life, but the last year has certainly been the most intense of that period. Um, and the church has been a massive, massive benefit in helping with that, get through that. Do you think, in terms of having a difficult time at school, because, mm-hmm. again, I was bullied a lot at primary school, mm. um, do you think that informed your politics? Um, I think it certainly did on wanting to change attitudes to ensure that no kid went through what I did at school. And when you say attitudes? Attitudes to homosexuality. Um, attitudes to... So I can remember... You, you mentioned primary school. I can remember being called a puff. In, and I didn't even know what that meant. A puff in the playground when I was... a. I had this bomber jacket and I'd never forget it. I loved it. It had orange lining. Proper like... Um, what's that boy band called? Like Bross or something. <laughs> um, and, and I can remember having it on and this lad pulled it and ripped it and he was like, you're a puff, blah, blah, blah. And I remember... I'll, I'll never forget it. Despite being about five years old. Um, round about then anyway. And that's it started from from then on really, and I before I even knew what gay people were because it's not like growing up in a pit village in County Durham you're exposed to many uh, different like gay trans whatever you want to say, um, and I can remember feeling like well what what are they on about? But and and got to about eleven, um, and I told my mum that I am gay and she was like oh pet I'd love you if you were an alien and I thought oh well that's all right and then at school at about 13 I told uh, one of the lasses that I was friends with that I fancied one of the lads in our science class and uh, she told him and she told the rest so she told the the class so when I walked in they were all laughing and and saying oh Darren's a faggot basically and that took it to a whole new level and they started like throwing coins and stuff, which nearly actually put my eye out. I was bleeding. Oh man! Um, and I, it was a really, really hard time. I had like it sounds daft, but like dictionaries, dictionaries thrown off my head and stuff like that. But if you think of a dictionary, they're pretty heavy, bloody big, heavy. Yeah. Um, and all for being, all for being a faggot, which was which is what they they would call me. I hate that word, by the way. It actually makes me cringe that's inside even at this word. day. Um, and so I, I think that's why same sex marriage was so important to me because I, I, I wanted to, I, I knew I had a, a 
pretty good idea that it would change pe- and it has if you think about the impact that that one act of parliament has had in that limited time frame it has massively changed people n- and sort of normalized their view of yeah gay people can get married so what um hold hands on the street whatever um i still don't do that by the way my um boyfriend sometimes tries to do it and i'm like nah I, Why not? I, 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 just, I don't like public displays of affection. I don't think that's anything to do. I'm not a self-hating gay or anything. In fact, at a, after going through that experience, you have a sort of... It got to the point where the kids at school would say, you're, you're gay, you're a puff, and I'd go, I, I am. And they'd just look at you, and then it gets boring once yes. you start saying that. Um, and... But, yeah, I, I, still, I still don't like all of that. It, it, and maybe, maybe that there's an underlying thing but maybe also I just I don't like seeing straight people do it either like I just I can't stand people kissing each other in public you're a heterophile I am get a room man <laughs> um. oh man I mean it's just oh, bullying has such a profound effect on people mm-hmm. I remember bumping into a school bully a few years ago in Nottingham at a cash machine and he was like alright mate how's it going I was like alright and he goes uh, oh it'd be great to have a reunion wouldn't it with everyone I was like what yeah. Because yeah, we, we get get everyone back together. They were the happiest days of my life. I was like, Man, I genuinely don't think anyone ever would want to see you again. Yeah. And it shocked him. Mm-hmm. And I speak to so many people who, just in later life, in other walks of life, who will like freely admit they'll say oh, I was a bit of a bully at school. The guy, oh, it's just the way it is, isn't it? And you go, no, it's not. That is a character yeah. trait. Now I accept that some people go along with it and all the rest of it, and people change. But I think a lot of bullies justify it to themselves in later life and have no idea the pain and the profound effect they have on people's psychology. I agree with you to a certain extent. So they d- they obviously did have, a, a, and I, I did actually suffer, I went through child and adolescent mental health services when oh, I was about man. 15. Um, I really am getting the small violin out, <laughs> but uh, which um, I think are incredibly important. Um, but... I, I to a certain extent, I I don't I don't blame these people because they they are only repeating what they are hearing at home, you know that that's that's why in the world of the internet in the world of twenty four hour media you cannot really escape the fact that gay people exist you cannot really escape the fact that attitudes like that aren't reported and in the Netflix shows that kids will watch, um and the telly programs that kids will watch. So I think attitudes are changing at such a rapid pace because people are being exposed to people that aren't like them or maybe are like them, but yeah. they don't know it. Mm. But there's, So there's one lad who, who used to bully us at school who now has a boyfriend. And I, I just look back and I, I, don't, I don't feel any anger toward him. I just, I just think, isn't that sad, actually, that he, he thought that the way in which he has to hide clearly these these feelings that he he was um burying was to go after someone that was obviously gay to try and deflect yes. the attention away from him so i don't blame these people at all i just think that this these are what they're exposed to what their underlying um sort of fears were just in terms of i mean having to use mental health services at yeah. such a young age yeah quite apart from that experience mm-hmm. did that not give you a sense that actually the state is a is a positive thing. Um, I definitely think that uh, mental health services and things like that are incredibly important, but I don't think that... So I I was put on a waiting list for, for about six weeks, despite the fact that I was not in a good place at all. Now, I think asking any kid um, who was going through a really rough time to wait six weeks is quite dangerous, actually. So I don't... And I don't think you can just turn around and argue that it's it's a 
what it comes down to is money. We just need to plough and plough more and more money into the NHS. I think the, the NHS's problem is that it's so centralised. So I think the NHS, controversial, but I think the NHS does need reform. I don't think that throwing more and more money at it is working. Um, so yes, I do agree with you that the, the obviously healthcare and, and maybe even state involvement is it in it is valuable but I don't think that we are delivering services if you look for, at examples in, in the likes of Switzerland in Germany, they have much better healthcare outcomes than we do in this country and it's still free at the point of use. But a lot of healthcare is devolved, we have primary care trusts and now we have clinical commissioning groups, a lot of NHS power has been taken out of what, you have to have national standards and all the rest of it, but a lot of that has been devolved out, I mean there's no doubt that the coalition years that the funding was squeezed and that would have had an effect on whether you could access services in time or not. I mean, do you think, for instance, in your experience of that mental health service, it would have been better if it was privatised? No, I don't. A private, I, I don't think it's privatisation because that implies that we're selling some... I'm suggesting that we sell something off. I don't, I don't think that. I just think that providers could be... They could, there could be more competition between who provides the service, right? That that might well be a private provider or it might be the state but I think you should have more choice in these things because I I had one choice that was the NHS and that was a six-week waiting list if I had access to other services which might have also been free at the point of use I could have really benefited from that so I think competition in these areas is, is even in healthcare it could be really beneficial. So let's let's fast forward to you setting up mm-hmm. Be Leave which yes. is this web-based um, uh, pro-leave referendum campaign so at the point as the referendum was called, had you were you still a Liberal Democrat at that point, or had you left? Um, I so the after the Tories won the general election in twenty fifteen, yeah, um, I was still a Lib Dem, and that's when Norman's campaign was. Of course, yes, yeah. yeah, and then I left shortly after that. So you leave shortly after that, and then in that kind of year before the referendum. Where are you? What are you looking at politically? Are you thinking maybe politically? I did or? so. I applied in 2014 for a program called BBC Generation 2015. Yes, 15. <laughs> God, I'm getting mad. <laughs> and um, I, I thought, well, they'll never accept us because I, I don't know much about politics. I'm, I have no idea about philosophy, no idea about economics, and they did. And I, I reckon it was because I ticked a few boxes, right? Northeast, gay, Lib Dem. Um, all of the things that the BBC's walk quota loves. Um, and anyway, I got to do quite a lot of media. I got to interview Nick Clegg, meet him. He doesn't follow us on Twitter anymore. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, He's more of a Facebook guy. <laughs> now. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, and they were fascinating experiences and, and actually opened my eyes up to the fact that because I definitely would have thought oh I I cannot I cannot do this because I I'm not I haven't done PPE or anything I haven't you know I people like me on in Westminster and that sounds like a cliche but I actually genuinely did believe that um and the BBC program actually did what well, one helped me connect to people but also ex- allow me to give me the confidence to actually do things like I'm doing today so you do that, mm-hmm. and then the referendum gets called, yeah. and you think, did you did you at that point have to decide whether you were pro-European or not? Did you immediately know you were going to vote leave? Um, uh, no, I did think about it uh, long and hard, and um, my friend, it, I'll never forget this article, a friend of mine who was also doing a youth programme 
had said, um, oh, have you seen this? And it was the Liberal case for international aid. And it was about how the customs union, or rather the common external tariff of the customs union, um, hurts African African economies and African agriculture sector more more so. Um, Things like, so the cocoa bean will be exported to Germany. But then Germany will process it because obviously they can't grow the cocoa plant themselves. But if they, if Africa, if the African economy tries to export the processed cocoa to Germany, they'd be hit with that massive tariff, right? And that's that's a way to keep the African economy at, at a certain level to say, you know, you're you're not going to access this market. And I can't stand as a liberal. I can't stand that. Well, I wouldn't really say I'm liberal anymore. Liberal on economics. I can't stand that. Um, that protectionism that says that these these people can't be given an opportunity to compete with with Western producers and manufacturers to protect protect um, vested interests, and so that really really had a profound impact on on my position in the referendum or before the referendum. So I started specifically to, African cocoa honestly, bean. I swear, yes, I was swear. The, was the issue that changed your mind? Well, obviously, and I go back to the earlier point I made, which was devolution as close to the individual as possible. So there were these things going yeah. through my mind, and I thought, well, I can't argue for devolution and then argue to give more and more power away. That does not make sense to me. Um, so I thought about the fact that I just won't run this digital campaign for Norman, and it went quite well, and I. The first time I'd started to do, I was quite good at graphic design because when I was being bullied at school, I would sit in my room and just teach myself how to use Photoshop. Um, so I, I knew how to do it. Um, and um, a friend approached me and said, would you, uh, well, now a friend, wasn't a friend at the time, and said, would you be interested in setting up something called Liberal Leave? I said, oh, well, that sounds very um, interesting, but I'm afraid I've left the Liberal Democrats. He went, bugger. So that was that. And then someone suggested that I use, what about calling it Believe and having it be non-partisan? And I thought, hmm. So looked at the Pantone colours of the year, which were were these lovely optimistic colours, and set up this campaign from that in my bedroom in Brighton, because I was at Brighton University at the time, and that was Christmas 2015. So you set up Believe, Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously you go from setting up this thing in your bedroom... Mm -hmm. In Brighton to then getting six hundred and twenty-five thousand mm-hmm. pounds from the official vote leave campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it wasn't quite that immediate. No, of course, but, um, exactly. So, so what happens in between? In between, so I was doing loads of media, quite intense stuff like debating politicians like oh, Lisa. But all of a sudden, so you set this thing in your bedroom. You say, mm-hmm. "I'm called B Leave," yeah. And then all of a sudden, but how do you get the attention in order? The, to get well, the, the attention invite? was I was making animations and gifs and stuff and posting them online. So you're just putting that out there, and then yeah. they just start to go. Viral or not, whatever? Not really. I wouldn't say they went viral, but they were certainly being retweeted by politicians and therefore the the media and Westminster, or producers in Westminster were picking up on them and saying, who's doing this? Because there weren't that many young voices willing to do media for leave, yes. right? So how do you get the attention of politicians? Is it through hashtags? Are you adding politicians in it? Um, I guess, yeah, I guess the, hash, the hashtag... Believe was one, and then the sun picked up. Be, you started yeah. using believe, um, which drove a bit of attention to it. Um, but then producers start. So I did a debate in Norwich Castle, biggest, probably the biggest debate. No, that's not true anymore. But it was at the time the biggest debate I'd ever done, and I was debating Lisa Nandy, yeah. and that, and she's, I think she's very impressive, um, and that was terrifying. 
and I was just thrown in right at the deep end, no media training or anything. And um, and you're just sort of there as yourself, really. Uh-huh. You're not there as part of a bigger organisation. Well, represent and believe, but yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in the run-up to that, did anyone get in touch and say, look, we know you're doing this, if you want some lines to take or... And uh, never lines to take. I mean, I so the Vote Leave had a research centre on their website and yeah. I would take lines from there, basically, and, and re-put them in a, a more youth-appropriate, focused, um, more liberal message. Because Believe um, campaigned on things like um, end passport discrimination, which was I was arguing that how can it be right that someone from Bangladesh can't enter this country and is 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 met with harsh visa restrictions etc but someone from Bulgaria can come here no questions asked that to me doesn't sit well um, and then again the common external tariff point being whacked with massive tariffs for developing economies um and it was a primarily liberal messages which i think would have appealed to the liberal party of old um and yeah, I think uh, I, I'm quite. I'm still. I remain, despite the hell that it's given me since. I I remain proud of that as my as my baby. So you do this debate at Norwich Castle. Mm-hmm. Is that then what gets you kind of on the radar and uh, people at Vote Leave start saying, actually, this is a guy. No, it was before that they. So they noticed the social media content. Okay. And they because I, I I hijacked the Vote Leave ballot box and I've since through court documents seen internal emails from Vote Leave and they're like this kid has stolen our logo are we alright with this and apparently one in Vote Leave internally said yeah whatever let he, this is alright stuff so let him get on with it um, and uh, so if, if there was severe co- collaboration there we weren't doing a very good job but um, I yeah so like they picked up from all of that I guess um, and then they started inviting me to the odd event. Um, and so I was actually there for the launch when the cabinet ministers came out for leave. Yeah. Um, which was really cool. As someone interested in politics, that was that was an amazing experience. Um, and, yeah. So you so you, you, you then start being more involved in Vote Leave. You're kind of on their radar. They're inviting mm-hmm. you to events. What then changes where they give such a large donation. So they had reached the maximum amount that they could spend um, and they they thought, well, what, what are we going to do with these surplus funds? They had been advised by the Electoral Commission that um, a set, I forget what they, they bought, um, but they were told that they could make a donation to another campaign. So they thought, right, well, I can donate to another campaign. I had reached out to them in the past and said, I want to raise money to, to push my digital stuff because... Yeah. I thought it was pretty bloody good, actually, and therefore wanted to push it as far and wide as I could. And nothing came of it. And then, obviously, when they, they realised... It's apparently, reading Tim Shipman's book, at one point, Vote Leave were in a massive deficit and it looked like they were going to go under. Yeah. And then some kind man gave them a million quid. Um, and they reached their limit. So they, they'd had this advice from the commission and they, they advised, they said to me, it's fine, it's dandy, you can spend it They on... used the word dandy. No, they didn't, that's, that's me. Um, and uh, I, obviously, uh, that was two weeks before the referendum, so I thought, right, well, I don't know any digital marketing people who can spend this amount of money. Um, I, guess, I guess I could have just done it all myself, but, you know, why not use the experts? So I, I had looked at the fact that they were building, Vote Leave were building, because you can see it on their Facebook, they were building all of these 
landing pages, which were targeted adverts for different demographics. So you you click on these landing pages, and it what's take, a landing page? A landing page is a page on the website, which so you see an advert on Facebook. It says, um, "Do you think immigration should be fair?" or something like that. You click on it, and it takes you to if we vote leave, take back control, blah, 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 and it has yeah. a message, you then sign up. Um, or you it gives you a, a, a stat or something. And would you see different landing pages depending on what ad you'd clicked on? So it's tailored. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I thought, this is really, really good. I want this for believe. So I, I said, uh, I found out who they were using, started using the same again, which was, in retrospect, not brilliant because now that led to accusations of all kinds of trickery and what have you um but i used the same social media company and we set up our own landing pages and stuff and at one point one advert i believe was seen by four and a half million people wow you know that's that's not an insignificant number um and that to me was amazing but i i evidently was um naive to the to the amount of of scrutiny the venom and vitriol that i'd be met with and the accusations i'd be met with Subsequent after that, yes. So at the time you were twenty two, twenty three. I was twenty two. Yeah. Vote leave. So we're going to give you six hundred grand. I mean, mm-hmm. I would be nervous about handling that amount of money yeah, now. But when when you're being told that the the regulator has actually said, oh yes, oh not in that regard, but more just, oh my god, they're giving me a lot of money. I oh, better yes. get my money's worth for it. Yeah. You know, just like, what do I? Sp-? And did they say, look, we're giving you this amount for? We've arrived at this amount. Through a, through a logic that this is the amount that we think you need to commission these services. No, no, absolutely no. No, they they just they wanted to they, they well I guess as much as they because if you think about it in the in the leave sphere and I'm going to offend a lot of people when I say this in the leave sphere were there really that many campaigns that were proficient and and competent in the digital sphere? Not really. Well, uh, apart yeah. from Leave.eu, Leave.eu which yeah. which. The vote leave relation, contrary to popular belief, was especially bad. I never met anyone from Aaron Banks or whatever. I've never met those people, um, and I can't think of any other campaigns. So they they said, "All right, there's this really good campaign that we like, who's putting out good content. We think they'd do a good job with the cash, yeah. and they couldn't spend any more. So why not give it?" But uh, uh, it's more just where the figure came from. Did they go, oh, we reckon this is how much these services cost? They were just like, look, this is how much we've got no. left. Just do with it yes, what you exactly. like. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the latter. So you got six. And did you think, right, I'm just going to give that block to one group? Or do you think maybe I could give half of it there, half of it there? No, because there wasn't. The, the, it was two weeks before. The, of course. Yeah. So there wasn't time to do sort of market research and, and to look at, interview people for what they could do. Not that I would have had a clue how to do that. But, you know, it was just a case of let's. Chuck that at this and and um, get get my message, my content out there, um, which was not being, I think, not getting the attention that it deserved. And that was aggregate IQ. Mm-hmm. So and, and and what do they? What service do they provide? So they provide. They build the landing pages. They build the pages on your website. Um, they look at analytics. They look at what messages are actually work or looked. I think they've actually shut down, um, or at least they can't operate in this country. I I don't know why, but. They um, would look at what messages are and aren't working for your the demographic that you're wanting to target. But again, because it was two weeks before the referendum, there wasn't time to micro-target and stuff like that. You were literally just saying, OK, put put these out on Facebook. So Facebook suspended them because they thought they had connections to Cambridge Analytica. Yeah. Did you ever meet any Cambridge Analytica no. people or, or I, talk to them or no. have any contact or anything no. like that? No. I mean... 
if if aggregate IQ are kind of in that sphere, does that worry? I mean, the sort of using of data um, and stuff, or was that not? Because as 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 far as as far as I'm aware, and I will maintain. Uh, to my dying day, unless I'm made aware otherwise, and I've not seen any evidence which, which, from any regulator, which shows anything to the contrary, apart from Carol's conspiracy theories, um, I haven't seen anything that suggests that anything dodgy happened. So until I'm proven um, uh, wrong, then no. So when you say Carol, it's Carol Cadwallader mm-hmm. who's been doing the the exposés on, uh, on Cambridge Analytica and, and that kind of and, whole world. And me, apparently. Um, uh, have you? Is it? What's the thing on Netflix? Is it the big hack or the great hack? I think that's all bollocks. Or the great. Have you watched it? No, I haven't. Because because I, I just know what it's going to say. It's worth watching. I mean, I I have very mixed feelings about it. I promise my, my, you, there is not. It is. They are blowing smoke up people's asses that don't have the first clue what they're talking about. Like they, they think there's some grand conspiracy theory when actually it's probably more a case of cock up than conspiracy. But if Facebook were allowing, uh, you know, someone like Cambridge Analytica to, to harvest data of people who didn't know use that know their data was being used, that's a, just as a specific problem. That's an issue, isn't mm-hmm. it? If you don't know, you're giving your data. To someone if that's they, true, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so I do have concerns with that. My concern. Just with, uh, and I would want people to be prosecuted for any law breaking, of course. The issue I have with it all is knowing how hard it is to get someone to even read a leaflet. And I know social media is probably, you know, more sophisticated than direct, well, it definitely is. Um, Knowing how hard it is to get someone to think something and get someone to actually leave their house and vote. As anyone who's been a campaigner of any length of time will tell you, it's really hard Mm -hmm. to get people to vote, to get to change people's opinions. That's the bit I'm slightly sceptical about is even if this wrongdoing was happening and it was wrongdoing, did it have any credible effect? Now, maybe it did. And the more I read about it, the more I become convinced. And then part of me thinks, well, uh, you can still see an ad and not believe it. I have the reason why I the reason why I don't I don't believe that it would have had any material impact on the referendum is because actually when you look at a lot of the leave campaigns a lot of the the traffic that was being driven toward them was organic so this was actually just people not being reached through targeted advertising but actually being reached through their friends and family sharing messages um which I think says a lot about the the, the passion that was there f- for for the Leave campaign. That a lot of these things were were being shared without any money behind them. Um, so yeah. So you get the six hundred twenty five mm. grand. You commission Aggregate IQ. They do their work, mm-hmm. and then the the referendum comes. You win the referendum. Mm-hmm. Where were you on referendum night? The BBC. So I was with Emily Maitlis when, wow. and uh, they they kept pushing me back. Actually, they kept pushing back my slot, so I didn't get on until about I think four p.m., three four p.m., and I was falling asleep. I hadn't slept for about two or three days. I'd been on a campaign day in Dover, handing out leaflets, or doing knocking on doors, and um, to get out the vote. And then I I realised I hadn't done a postal, I hadn't done it, so I had to go back to Brighton. Um, got to Brighton, Southern Rail wasn't working, oh, obviously. So then the BBC had to send a cab. I hadn't slept probably in about three days. The BBC sent a cab. Um, I got in, got they, I, they drove me all the way to London. Um, I got there. It was really weird. People like Alistair Campbell, Alex Salmond, um were all in this in this one green room, and you could see as the as the evening went on, as, as I watched like Sunderland come in and stuff like that. Alex Salmon going outside and like calling people and Alistair Campbell going outside and calling people. 
And I thought, bloody hell, have we actually done it? Because all of these people are clearly a bit, uh-oh. Um, and were they chatting to you in the green room? No. But was that because they didn't know who you were or they were being hostile or...? I just don't think they knew who I was. I, I was. But so I mean, they weren't like, oh, you're a leaver? No, but I, I mean, I've met people like Diane Abbott since, and sorry if you're a big fan, but, you know, I, I shook her hand and said, it really is an honour to meet you. I think you've had a really impressive, when I did any questions, actually. So I was really nervous because I, I did it when I was just after the referendum. So um, how old was I, 22, 23? My word. Um, and uh, I was really scared. And I shook her hand and I said, it's really nice to meet you. Um, I You've had such a, impressive career and she went I know who you are I went alright um, okay so that was that um, so I've, I've, I'm not averse to politicians just not wanting to speak to a young person I guess but um, and so, you, you, so you're the BBC on referendum now uh-huh. you win mm-hmm. uh, I imagine you feel elated in yeah, all sorts of definitely uh, but I called, I called my mum up and I said um, she woke her up obviously because no sane person is up at that time and uh, she, I says well, mum we've won and she went have we? I say to her. And she went, oh, that's good. I said, you don't... This is a woman who's been Eurosceptic for as, probably longer than bloody Nigel Farage. Uh, well, not quite. She's not that old. Um, I says, you don't sound very excited. And she went, oh, well... I says, what? She went, Pet didn't get too excited. I says, what for? She went, they'll never let it happen, man. They will not let us leave. It won't happen. And I said, oh, you're an old cynic. You're really cynical. This is ridiculous. Don't be so bloody miserable. And she went, hmm. Um, and anyway, I went. I had to do a shift at Marxies because uh, I worked at Marks and Spencer in Brighton. So I had to go back to Mark, uh, Bright, back to Brighton and w- work that shift. And I swear to God, I've never been more tired in all of my life. <laughs> but I had people coming up to us who knew what I was doing and like shaking my hand and saying, well done, whilst I was in my Marxies uniform. <laughs> um but I actually think the sad thing is that my mum has been proved right. That that cynicism and that distrust of a political class has, has been proven right. And that's why I think politicians like Norman Lamb are absolutely right to say that revoking Article 50 or not delivering Brexit would be really bad for the social contract of this country. So then the, the referendum happens, mm-hmm. and then after the referendum, mm-hmm. the Electoral Commission say that Vote Leave have broke their spending limit by yeah. donating money to Be Leave. Well, they didn't say that originally. The first investigation was, oh, BuzzFeed have posted your spending return. Yeah, I sent it to you first, idiot. Um, Like, you've seen it. Um, BuzzFeed have reported this as media interest. And if you look through unredacted documents, which have been disclosed from the commission since, they're like, oh, media interest, we better at least, you know, say we've investigated, whatever. So they came to me, they said, "Um, did Vote Leave direct your spending? No, I could have put out a message saying vote leave or shite and there was nothing they could do about it. Um, and so and they went, right, hunky-dory, fine, fair enough. Went off. Then they came back for a second bite of the cherry because there was more media interest. And bearing in mind, I mean, I was terrified. I went to accountant to have all of my accounts checked and signed off, which they were. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. I mean, the, the thing is, you're, you're so young to be doing something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and this is your first campaign, really. Yes, yeah. Did anyone say, I'll oh, make sure you fill in your forms? Or are you just um, trying to find this all out for yourself? Yeah, a case of, I guess, reading the... I'm, I mean, I'm more better versed on papira than most people. I bet you are, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I just think it's almost like... Um, 
because I worked, you know, I've run campaigns to the Labour Party all over the place. But the first time you do it, you, you're relying on other people to tell you what to do. You've got no idea about what this form is or what that form is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just think if you're setting up on your own, how would you know? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, well, I mean, you just go along with the motions, right? It's just filling out a re- with the how much you've commission, spent. You know, if, uh, how does the system work in terms of once you've set yourself up as a group, do the Electoral Commission then contact you and say, you've you're, got to fill in these forms? And you're set up. They they verify when you've done things, which they did okay. verify. They okay. said, everything's fine. You are registered. They then, the, we'll get on to this, but the third time they investigated, they said Believe wasn't registered. They changed their mind. And they said Believe never existed. Um, and that it was Darren Grimes that existed, which was the entire argument they put forward in court, which was dismissed as as bollocks. And this was because the form was so complex mm-hmm. that yeah. on some ports you well, so a, f- a form that they they checked. So, so on, but in some of the answers you put Darren Grimes, and some of the answers you put believe. I put Darren Grimes slash believe in yeah. one of the boxes um, because it it asked whether or not you are an individual or an unincorporated association. I didn't know what an unincorporated association was, so I I ticked individual and then but to to make clear that I wanted believe to be registered. I th- is this mean or is this for believe? So, I, but I thought I genuinely thought and stupidly thought, all oh, right. Well, this they they are the regulator. They they have to check. This is such an important referendum. They have to check these things with a fine tooth comb. Yeah. That if there is any confusion, they will they will look at this and be like, "What are you on about, mate? You've ticked this wrong." Or, or who's Darren Grimes slash believe? That kind of be that kind of be your last name, can it? <laughs> You know, if there were any confusion there, they should have. I think it, it was their duty to check that and not put a 22-year-old through hell. So then they say you're going to be fined 20 grand. £20,000. Personally? Yeah. Personally, yeah. And how do you find out about that? Did you hear it in the media first or do they ring you? I um, knew that. So the, this was a... They only opened the third investigation. I have to make this clear. Oh, they only opened the third investigation when the second investigation, which they shut down, was judicially reviewed by a Remain activist QC called Julian Morm, who raised a shit ton of cash to come after me and vote leave. And um, actually, but you know, bizarrely, I hadn't met a lot of people at Vote Leave, but I, I know them now because we've been forced into this bizarre situation where we've had to get to know each other. That's the really, really bizarre thing about it, that there the, the, is allegedly this grand conspiracy and collaboration. And I didn't know these people from Adam. I keep getting media requests saying, do you know Dominic Cummins? And I'm like, no, get it into your thick, bloody skulls, man. Well, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Um, so he, he judicially reviewed them and the commission thought, shit, um, we're going to have to do something about this, lads. So they um, opened up a third investigation. And this third investigation concluded that I had done things wrong and that Believe didn't exist. Um, and they said, we are considering fining you £20,000. Can you send us, um, through your solicitor, um why and again going back to the accounting point i'd never had to get a solicitor before so this was all a new experience yeah. can you tell us why we shouldn't find you so i thought right they're not actually because twenty thousand pounds the maximum amount for an individual they're not going to find us 20 grand I, I bet they put it down as like you know 100 quid like you would get a parking fine because i'd take the wrong box yeah. um and the i was in i'd been probably a bit too much information, but I'd been dating someone new and I we were 
waking up in the morning, pips of the Today programme go off. You've got that beep, beep, beep. And then they read out the news items. And I think like the third one said um, the official vote leave campaign has been fined £61,000 and referred to the Metropolitan Police. Also fined £20,000 is Darren Grimes, who's also been referred to the Metropolitan Police. And I sat up and I thought, oh. And then this lad next to us said, um, did I did I just hear what I thought I heard? And I went, I reckon you probably did. Um, and he, I thought, well, this is bloody awkward. So I says, I think you'd better go because obviously I had to call my solicitor. My man was worried sick because I'd not had a. I'd... Well, obviously the first thing he said was, "You listen to the Today program in the morning." I do. <laughs> oh, I do. I love it, and I have it on in bed. I think it's the best way to wake up. I actually listen to Julie Hartley Brewer now, but, uh, <laughs> and uh, so that that happened, and then he went off, and I, I, the really sad thing is that I hadn't had a chance to to tell my family that this was going to happen because I didn't know it was going to happen. So that's how you found out. Mm-hmm. They didn't they didn't tell you the night before. No, I didn't know I was going to be referred to the police and stuff like that. I obviously they had said we we are considering finding yeah. twenty grand, but I thought my representations to them because they made their decision within about I think a couple of days, and I'd sent them page after page after page after page of submission. They can't possibly have gone through all of this all of this submission um, before before making their... Fi- they had, to me, already made their mind up and, and were katawan to, to these really... These people with vast coffers, much larger coffers than they than I have, because I think the commission made a. And I know you're going to think that this is tin hat conspiracy theory stuff, but I genuinely believe it. I think the commission made a decision that said that I would never be able to fund myself... Or, or appeal this or fight it and that I'm a much easier target than Jolian Mom is fighting Jolian um, so they went after me um, you know Vote Leave was hit as an organisation I was hit as an individual and it that it was really it, it I mean it was really scary it really was so what what were you scared of? bankruptcy bankruptcy and um, the I well one my so I used to get invited on things like the BBC's broadcasting house and they were like, really sorry, mate, but we've had to drop you. So stuff like that. And I just thought, wow, people, you know, people actually think that I'm a, a crook. People actually think that I've, 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 I'm up to no good and I'm a really bad person. That really, I didn't like that at all. Um, because as far as I'm concerned, I was just campaigning for something that I believed in. And I was so happy when I caught, I actually cried in court when, you know, I, I received that because there was a Guardian journalist sat right behind us and he had to report that. And the Guardian have put, and Channel 4, in, in collaborate, in concert with each other, have had to have put my life through hell of, of trying to be contact my family and stuff like that who are not political. Um, and they had to report that I'd won my case and that they'd got it all wrong. And I framed it. I cut it out and framed it. Um, and you have no idea what that felt like, that that weight that had been lifted from my shoulders. Um, so, yeah, but mad, mad few years. Were you scared of going to prison? Mm, no, because I didn't ever think that... <sighs> I mean, it's one thing to go after someone for a regulatory offence, but to, to, to say that there is... a criminal conspiracy here I think massively far-fetched like maybe if they put Carol in charge of the CPS yeah but as far as I'm aware there's there is absolute because I didn't do anything wrong therefore there can't be any evidence that says that I 
did or am accused of criminal activity. So the fear was, oh my God, you know, my bright future is now evaporating in front of Definitely, me. Definitely, yeah. I'm sort of condemned to mm-hmm. lead a life of, you know, mm-hmm. a, a shadow of what you could have been, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you need to find... So in between, the, obviously, the, the appeal, mm-hmm. winning your appeal, you get told you're going to be fined 20 grand. Mm-hmm. Did you have to pay any of that up front or anything like no, that? No, not that. So as soon as you announce, you have, a, I think, a 30-day period in which you can decide to appeal. Obviously, I did. Is it as long as 30 days? I cannot remember. But I obviously did decide to appeal almost, well, I say almost instantly. There was part of me that thought, well, if I can try and get some kind person to pay the money, which would have been difficult to say the least but um and that not be my mam um that would be great because this could all just go away but then i thought how are you darren you have nothing you've got nothing to lose you know that these are trumped up charges that you haven't done you haven't done anything wrong there's a real chance that you could win this if you go through it but then at the same time i thought i'm in my early 20s they've already been completely ruined by this if I fight this, it could be it could be a court case, then they could appeal it, then they could appeal it again. And, you know, it could go on for years and years. But I decided to, because I'm mad. And actually, I think going back to the point of being bullied, that, that helped a lot because I think I've got this mentality where I'm like, I am not going to be pushed around by someone. I've put up with bigger bigger pricks than the Electoral Commission. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I fought it and thank God I did. So then it, it, you you decide you're going to fight it. Mm-hmm. You crowdfund it, mm-hmm. uh, quite a significant amount of money to, to pay for your... To, mm-hmm. to £90,000 to, to pay for your defence. How did you go about that? Do you think, I'm just going to have to set up a... So I obviously I'm quite proficient in digital stuff. So I researched what the best um, outlet um, for raising money for legal fees was. Found this one that goes directly to your solicitor so people would have the, the safety of knowing that it's going straight for straight to pay for legal services and not to me direct uh, yet into my bank account or anything um so i i made my my own video content for it um and and pushed pushed it out far and wide you know a lot of people politicians and and people in broadcasters were sharing it and stuff and yeah it, it did really well but and that's why i think the internet is a fantastic thing because i otherwise i wouldn't have been able to fight this and in terms of obviously you uh, describe shows up broadcasting house saying I'm very sorry you know mm-hmm. at the moment we can't have you on mm-hmm. um, firstly have those doors reopened no really mm. yeah I mean broadcasting house said we the producer said um, I'm doing a bit of a kiss and tell in this podcast but the producer said uh, oh I'm sure we'll have you back on once everything's over and I said, all right, okay, that that's... And she said, when do you think it'll be over? And I thought, well, your guess is as good as mine, Pet. I've got no idea. I wish you could... If you can tell us that, great. Um, and she went, okay, fine. But, nah, no, nothing since. But uh, 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 are you finding that other media outlets you're, you're sort of I more... never get invited onto the BBC oh. anymore. Um, Sky now and again, but there was a lot of... Sky got a lot of abuse. There were a few articles from, like, the New European and people like that saying, why are Sky News so enamoured with this criminal. Um, and so Sky started to shy away from it. And I spoke to one producer in Confidence who said, lockdown is just getting harder to have you on. And that was that was really, that was quite sad for me. And not, not because, I'm going to sound like an arrogant twat, but um, mainly because I don't think there are many people from the North East who are saying the sort of things 
that I'm saying. And I, I, I really, and people actually come up to me and say this. They say, I, I'm really grateful to you for what I get emails and all the rest of it. I'm really grateful to you for saying this, for speaking up for people that have felt voiceless for far too long. And uh, without sound, sounding like I've got like a messiah complex or something, I was really sad that I wouldn't be able to do that anymore and wouldn't be able to have that platform. Um, so, yeah. And, and just in terms of the Leave community, mm-hmm. did, did you find a lot of solidarity across that, uh, you know, going through this? It depends what you mean. Like, I've, you know, I I think um, I... Not certainly not leave.eu and people like that, if that's what you mean. I've I've never I don't know them. Um But did they tweet in support? Did they say help this guy out? Uh, Is this crowdfunding they page? They never shared my crowdfunding page, no. No. Um nah. Yeah. So they never got people Aaron Banks never sent you a message saying, Oh, this is rubbish. No. Good luck. No. Uh, what about the, the sort of more vote leave uh, element? Um, people... Like politicians and stuff, but you remember like people like Boris and Michael and all those senior politicians. Pretty did, Pretty Patel did. Um but all of those people were still in cabinet. You know, Pretty wasn't at that point. So she was in a position to and she wrote my mum a letter actually and my mum's still got it. A nice one. Yeah. Um saying you must be very proud, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And um that was really, really kind. Um so yeah, there was I don't get me wrong, there was a lot of support, but I think if you mean the senior people at Vote Leave, no, because... I'm quite surprised by that. I just presume they would get in touch and say, look, don't worry about this, whatever happens. I mean, there would have been... No, no certainly not, no matter what happens, we'll... Because, I mean, I guess they had their own financial of course. things to worry about. Um, so, yeah. Did anyone from Remain get in touch? Um, well, who do you mean in particular? Well, just anyone, activists or, or politicians. Anyone say, look, I know we're on different sides here, but what you're going through is harsh. I mean... Mm, no, I, I, there's a few friends and stuff who've spoken to a few people at the Guardian and such, who have said, you know, I I I work with people at the Guardian who are writing this stuff about Darren, and it, I I'm sorry, but I don't believe a word of it. So I can you tell him that I'm thinking of him, etc. But never to never to my face, because I never that solidarity, because you know I was. I did have this this brand of being a criminal now, of, of being someone that could, couldn't be touched with a barge pole. Um, so it, it wasn't in their interest to do that. So it was, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. it, it's, would it be fair to say, quite a lonely experience? Definitely. But that, that, so and so you really, didn't feel like you had this sort of big weight of support behind no, you? No, definitely not. Apart from the, when I, that's why actually the crowdfunding element and, and church was a really good... Yeah mix of two things. Well, yeah, God on your side. God on I mean, your side and who better? and money. Um <laughs> um but and but 3000 people and a lot of them leaving comments as well saying, you know, good on you for yeah. doing this. And so I started directing my mom to that page as well and she would just sit and read the comments. Um so no not really, but I've got a very good family. Um I've got very good friends and uh yeah. So what happens now? Um, you tell me. <laughs> well, I, I mean more for you. I mean, what do you feel like your future is uh, bright again? Yes, I certainly feel that there would have been opportunities closed down had I lost. Um, because bankruptcy limits your opportunities, um, not in a damning way, but it certainly limits them. Um, so there... there 
yeah, I guess. I, I, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I never expected to be in this position. You know, I never expected to... Someone like you would want to listen to me uh, rant on. But um, who knows? I kind of tell you that. I mean, do you think... I mean, are there parts of you... You're obviously bright, ambitious, impressive. Do you sit there and think, well, I might write a book about this? I considered it, but then I thought... Um, a media, this the medium like this is is probably a better way of doing it. I I don't I don't I'm not sure that many people would care. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I think maybe you are wrong. I think there's probably more. If you look at political books now and bite back and places like that, there's more of a market. I mean, maybe I'm the only sad git who buys all these books, but I buy Leave books, Remain books, Tory books, UKIP books, SNP books. Whenever there's like a new political book out there, I always want to read it. The inside account of something Mm -hmm. that was such a big story that we're all so focused on, I think Mm -hmm. is fascinating. I think allocation of resources, though, I think there are other things I could be getting on with. um, Yeah. And... Without writing, sitting, because writing a book's bloody hard work. I can imagine. Um, not that I have, but uh, t- people like I respect and admire who've done that say, "Oh, don't bother." Like honestly, it's just not worth it. It's not worth the the pain and the agony that you've got to go through to meet deadlines. Well, maybe it will end up being a chapter in a book about something else. Maybe. Who knows? Um, I mean, do you have ambitions for office? N- no. Um, That's a sort of no. <laughs> I, it's a half no. It's a half no. I, I, if if they turn the northeast blue, I'm not going to say no. Um, but I I really doubt that the shire or counties so you know have me. Uh, but you would want to be a conservative. Uh-huh. By but I was going to say well the Brexit party are a hue of blue now. Um, yeah, but I think I'm yeah I'm not certainly if I mean if Boris doesn't deliver then who knows what will happen but. Um, I I am a conservative, yeah. I mean, I, part of the reason I was so excited to talk to you is whenever there's a new, and I think particularly in the last few years, with with, with on left, right, centre, leave, remain, there's been this explosion of new media, new voices. You know, we had a a, a, a TV and a, a media commentator sort of pool that has just vastly expanded in the last few years. And whether it's Aaron Bastani and Owen Jones and Matt Sarkar and Ash Sarkar on the Corbynite left yourself as a kind of young northeast uh lever whether i agree with what you mm-hmm. and other people say or not it mm-hmm. has been exciting to see an explosion of new voices of young voices people from different backgrounds and whenever there's someone on telly you go well how have they got there this is amazing that mm. that all of a sudden people are given a platform and i think that's just in that regard i think a hugely positive thing and it won't surprise you to hear that i don't agree with a lot of what you yeah, say when we talk about the yeah. eu when we talk mm-hmm. about um Brexit, whether it's a wise decision or not, but you're a very impressive performer, and it's remarkable for someone so young that on TV you are so uh, articulate, so clear. Uh, you just think, well, this guy's gonna, he's bound to end up in a cabinet. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm that clever. I don't, not that uh, there's a few of them I shan't name names who probably <laughs> aren't that clever, but um, you know, I, I don't have a I d- didn't do A levels. I don't have a degree. I d- maybe that maybe it comes down to a lack of confidence in that sort of thing. Um, but I will continue to to speak up for what I think are underrepresented voices in this country for as long as people are willing to listen. But you're such an effective communicator. I mean, when I think about politicians that I worked with and the ones that you try and, you know, people say, oh, they're all media trained, and they're not. Um, and a lot of them don't listen to the media trend, and even you try and give it to them. I just thought, this guy is so, even if I disagree with him, he's so effective, so assured, so calm under pressure. 
um, to articulate. Uh, I just thought, well, how have you just emerged as this kind of fully formed I, thing? I, like, did you go to drama school? Is there anything? No. Is there anything that you draw on to kind of? How are you so calm under pressure in a live TV studio at such a young age? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I, I, I think because I don't think about the fact that there's a camera there. I, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm just having a conversation with someone. Um, I, I honestly don't know the answer. No, I've certainly not gone to drama school or, or anything <laughs> like that. Um, uh, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I honestly don't. None of my family are political. Um. Or particularly showy. Um, my mum brought me up with one message, which I live by, which Vote is leave. No, <laughs> which is shy bends get nows. Um, and I, she used to always say that, and I to stand by, I stick by that, and I will say that to people time and time again because it's the most important thing that I heard. And you know, this this kid from County Durham who grew up on a council estate, who thought that he couldn't enter the arena of politics. The only way he got there was by telling himself that his mam had told him that Shy Ben's getting out. And it is so true. So my advice to people is to put your head above the parapet because you never know what might happen. And you never know who who might feel that they have, they suddenly, they seek solace in things that you are saying. And they, they find real genuine comfort that someone is speaking up for them. And that's what motivates me. Darren, what a perfect note to end on. Thank you so much for Thank coming you. on. Thank you. There you go, Darren Grimes. And as I said in the interview, Darren isn't someone that I agree with on Brexit, or I dare say a lot of other things. But I've been fascinated by his rise to prominence, about the case against him, about uh, him winning his appeal. And he represents something that is... He represents change in itself in, in modern politics. And he was someone that was obviously very, very keen to talk to. And I was just totally engrossed for the entire conversation and could have easily done another hour and a half. But I was aware that, as with all my guests, I'm very uh, grateful for them coming and giving their time. Uh, and I, I don't want them to uh, feel that I've uh, kept them here beyond what is a comfortable amount of time. But I hope you enjoyed the interview, regardless of what side of any part of the political spectrum you are on. Uh, don't forget, you can email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. Steve Page did just that. He said, I've just been listening to the Deborah Mattinson episode. Um, an episode which, by the way, I had loads of messages about. A very popular episode. One of my favourites. He said, I think Jeremy Corbyn's vehicle would be a tandem with him leading and the back seat vacant. Boris would be on a Boris bike that is still attached to its cradle. So there you go. He's whacking left and right. Uh, so good on you, Steve, for having a pop at uh, uh, both party leaders. I mean, I, I think the Corbyn one is kind of, a, in a way, a, a compliment that he's he's riding a bigger bike all by himself. Whereas Boris is... Uh, can't even get his own Boris bike out of the cradle. Two wonderful images to leave you with. Do email the show, politicalpartypodcast at gmail.com. And you can see Brexit Pursued by a Bear uh, at the Southbank Centre in London on the 6th of October and at King's Place in London on the 12th of October. Tickets for all political parties uh, up until December 2020 and now on sale uh, through theotherpalace.co.uk. I'll see you next week for Ken Clark. This episode of the Political Party Podcast was produced by Daisy Knight. <laughs>